0: today uh, the pleasure of, of uh, bringing God's word to you and um, so I think this is like the third or fourth time I've done this now and this is um, I struggle with this one the most um, just because of the, the breadth of what I'm going to speak about today that's um, God's grace to us um, so if you recall the last time I spoke, we um, were in Philippians chapter 1, and uh, so verses 1 and 2 are pretty consistent with how Paul starts his letters to individuals and churches, um, and it's basically pretty similar to how we would, we would address our letters today, right? So you see in verse 1, if you can flip there, um, we'll be reading from there, but you can see in verse 1 he identifies himself, and uh, Timothy is with him, um, or at least nearby when the letter was being written, and um, so he also mentions to whom the letters to, and that is to the Philippian church and uh, the saints in Christ there. Um, and you probably remember the last time when we we spent just a while looking at who these people were um, that he's identifying, and um, those are the people in Christ in that church. Um, And then, of course, right at the end of verse 1 there, we see that these people are with the overseers um, or the deacons and the elders there. So today we're going to move into verse 2 of this letter to the Philippian church, um, which is basically the second part of this greeting here. Um, So please stand with me if you're able while I read God's word. So I'm going to start over in verse 1 just to help us remember the context a little bit. So verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father... um, just a privilege being a man here um, that needs your mercy and needs your grace, just like every single one of us. And Lord, I pray that that be upon us today. Um, open the hearts that are here um, to receive your grace through the through the word that's being preached. Lord, we want to be a church that, that just recognizes that all grace, everything we have, and just everything that we are comes from you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Alright, so first today I want to pose some questions to you to get your mind thinking about what the topic is like for today. So do you know what grace is? How about God's grace? What does what does God's grace do or what is its effect? Do you ever think about what this is and how it applies to your life today and every day? How does it affect your relationship with God? How about relationships with other people? What about peace from God? What does that mean? So look at all this today. There's just so much here just in one verse, just like last time we took one verse and there's just so much there to, to, to speak about. So as we already saw in verse one again, um, you see Paul identify who the letter is written and who its who author is. The second verse functionally is basically a greeting similar to maybe, maybe an email you would write to someone if you haven't spoken to them for a while. So you might say, I hope this email finds you well, for example. Or I hope you... And your family are doing well. I've done this before, you know, haven't, talked to, or haven't spoken to somebody in a while, and that's how you, you would start. So I think this is very similar in function to those kinds of sayings, actually. However, there's much more here than just a casual greeting. It's a greeting between two followers of Christ and two his brothers and sisters in Christ, in a church. So there's those words again, in Christ, that we looked at last time. Let's try to unpack some of this today. And we'll circle back around at the end, and it'll become clear to you why Paul would say this. So why does he say grace and peace to you? So incidentally, if you hadn't ever heard this before, later today or this week, grab your concordance, if you have one, or you can flip through your Bible now, if you want. Every letter written by Paul, and to a large extent, the other apostles, so Peter, uh, begins and ends within one or two sentences, asking for the grace of God to be with the receivers of the letters. And he also ends this way. You know, so in that way, I think it's really important to understand this, this greeting or this benediction that he's giving, out, he's giving to the, the churches there. Okay. So what is grace? And probably everybody's heard the definition before. And so the simple definition that you've probably heard before is unmerited favor. And so it's reasonably simple to understand, right? So unmerited meaning, unmerited meaning not earned or not worthy of the favor that you get. So I want you to know there are several categories of ways in which God's grace comes to us. I think it's important that I try to give you the whole picture of grace so you can understand the context here in only the second verse of just this chapter, and then if you look at the other letters, too, the same same greeting. There are two words typically translated to grace in the Bible. First, in the Old Testament, we have the Hebrew word kain, or hain, which simply means to find grace or favor with somebody or someone. So the King King James Version will translate this word grace a lot of times, and the others, like the NASB or ESV we have in the pews, will translate into favor. Um, This is the Old Testament Hebrew. Okay. So after looking at this for a while and looking at all the contexts, um, splitting this translation into favor and grace, like the NASB or ESV does, seems to be the more correct use of the words. So, in the King James version, you might you might see grace used a lot of times, and then when you look at the context, it's like I don't I don't know if that really matches how we normally think of it used in the New Testament. Okay, so if then if you look at the NASB there and ESV, a lot of a lot of those same verses you'll see the the word favor used in English. However, uh, the NASB and ESV there still are some of that word hane translated into into the word grace. Um, so the reason you know that uh, let me start over here sorry so the reason is that the the King James Version the context a lot of times when grace is used yeah it doesn't really fit with the definition very well Um, and usually the context um, in the Old Testament where these words are found usually contains some kind of deed or trait that gains one person favor with another, or a person did something that pleased God and then gained God's favor that way. Um, but these aren't the same way that grace is being used by Paul, so it's different, you have to understand. So let's walk through one example from the Old Testament first. This is one of very few examples where the NASB and ESV actually differ, or actually use the word grace. Okay. So the best place that I could find this concept of favor, unearned, Unaccompanied by the, use, by the use of the Hebrew word cain, or hain, is in Zechariah chapter 12. And that's Zechariah, if you turn there, um, is the, the second, verse or second book from the end of the uh, Old Testament. So Malachi is right after. So if you just flip to Matthew, you're going to go back a couple books, you'll find it. So we're starting in chapter 12 there, and then in verse 10. So, it'll be helpful to follow along. So, if you, if you can flip there. So, chapter 12, verse 10. So, the prophet here is talking about the reconciliation of Israel through the pierced Christ on the last day. Verse 10 starts by saying, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him, Whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So now notice that God is talking through Zechariah in this and prior chapters, the beginning of pretty much every chapter, Zechariah says, Thus says the Lord. And these are words given to the prophet. And look at how the sentence in verse 10 is structured. And I will pour out on the house of David a, or my, because this is the Lord talking through Zechariah, pour out a spirit of grace or unmerited favor. And Whose grace is this? This is God's grace. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. So that what? When they look on Christ, they shall mourn for what they did, or repent. So then what? Look over at chapter 13, which is basically a continuation of the events on the last day described here. So in verse 1 in chapter 13. So that on the last day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncle- uncleanness. So who is able to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness? Only Christ. God's grace brings salvation. Put away this relationship in your mind. You might notice a pattern starting to form during the rest of, of the Sunday. rest of our discussion on, on, just this morning. So this pattern is grace bringing faith and repentance and then salvation. And we'll come back to this a couple more times here. So let's go through a couple examples in the New Testament where there's a massive massive collection, and variety in the use of the Greek word haris. Usually, we classify the use of this word haris, or grace, into two categories. The first being God's grace by regeneration and justification. So similar to what we saw in Zechariah, take a look at Romans chapter 3, flip over to Romans. And so this is Paul talking about how there were, how there is no one who is righteous by the law To be received by faith. Now, notice in that passage there where does the justification or right standing before God come from? Verse 24 And are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption in Christ Jesus. So, how is this redemption received? By faith. And how do we receive faith? So we'll go over to Ephesians now. It's like the sword drills today, but flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, which we seem like we keep going back to in, in many of these sermons here, but starting in verse 8. So Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a res- and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see here, by grace or unearned, undeserved favor, salvation has come through faith. If this saving saving by faith is a gift of God and not of works, as the text says, then it is unearned. If it is unearned, then it is by grace by where this faith comes, because it is not of your own works or doing. Look at the relationship again and see how it matches with the salvation presented in Zechariah. You receive receive faith and belief by grace, whereby you are also justified by grace. And this is is what grace means. When we mention the doctrines of grace, have you ever heard that phrase before? We mean that every single part of your salvation, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification, comes by means of an unearned, are undeserved gift from God. You are unable to earn salvation. You are unable to desire salvation. It is completely unachievable without God's favor on you. But this is where it gets strange, but you must believe. Believe that Christ has earned this for you. You cannot earn it yourself. So I want you to see something else. The definition of grace, of the grace in salvation, can almost not be more clear than it is in Galatians chapter 1. So flip over to Galatians. This is in verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. So here Paul is talking to the Galatian church about his prior persecu- persecution of Christians and the revelation of the gospel to him. Now read verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So what can Paul have done before his physical birth to achieve God's favor? To be called by grace? What has he done? Nothing. Cannot. This is only by sovereign grace that Paul's election in Christ was secure so that Paul would be given the gospel to witness to the Gentiles. So even if you read this entire context to be setting up part of Paul by God for the Gentiles, for Paul to preach to the Gentiles, he still has to be called to salvation by grace, as the text says. The grace of God is nowhere more apparent than in the plan of salvation before your birth and before the foundation of the world. We were unable to do anything before that. So now, does the grace of God only come to us by means of our salvation? So I would argue that there's nothing more important than our salvation. So any earthly joy received is still a gift, but it pales in comparison to your new life in him. There are other means by which we experience God's grace in our lives, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to stop here and we need to think. We really need to think. You have to understand this about the saving grace of God. And so you were dead In your trespasses and sins, remember Ephesians two. And to summarize verses one through three, we just read after that. To summarize verses one through three, you loved your sin. In verse four, but God made us alive together with Christ. And so, I want to focus on is verse seven. And here's His plan for you, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you see, this plan for you, it's not really all about you, actually. Read it again. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. The immeasurable riches of his grace. So He might show that through you. And so what does that say about God's favor toward us if his grace is immeasurable? And so I struggle, honestly, I struggled for this for a long time, and I I can't explain to you how profound this is. For for us to be here dead, and for God to be infinitely good, and and what that immeasurable word kind of means, right? And so I'm just going to let the word of God speak. So turn to Revelation chapter 7, all the way to the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. And I'm just going to read this to you, and then you consider who the Bible says that you are, what the desire of your heart was before he called you. And just listen to, to, the, to the words that are, that are written here. So Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. So how can this be? That the God who sits on his throne like this continually as we sit here He's being worshipped forever and he came to walk among us being born as you or I and yet still being God and fully human he willingly suffered and died in order to satisfy the wrath of the Father for us. And remember you were dead and he reached into the depth of sin where you were dead and this is not to rescue us, for how does a dead person need rescuing? But he did all this from his infinite riches, riches and grace, the Bible says, to give us new life, not rescue, to give us life, actually. You see this, it's different. So the infinite greatness and goodness on one hand And how completely and opposite we are on the other. Yet we are shown limitless kindness through what Christ did. And this only gets better. And the psalmist says, this is done out of love. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save. O Lord, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. So is this God, this Christ, is that who you're putting above all else in this temporary life, in this temporary home that we're in? Or are you continuing to hold on to things in your life, or people, or yourself, your own comfort? Are you unwilling to put Christ in his proper place? And how long will he wait for you? So you need to examine your life against Scripture. Is the fruit of your salvation apparent on this day, today? And how are you living today, brothers and sisters? Now to other means by which we receive grace. Look look again back at our text in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. So I hope you had your finger there. As I mentioned in the previous sermon you heard from me on these verses. Paul is writing this letter to the saints or believers who are already in Christ, as he says in verse 1. So this means that they have already experienced grace through Christ, by which they were called to salvation. There are, however, effects of this grace to varying degrees in the life of a believer. So what other way do they experience this grace from God the Father and Jesus Christ? So that's really what Paul's asking that they receive. He's asking them to receive, that they receive grace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. So theologically, what we're what we already looked at is the grace of salvation or what's sometimes known as special or effectual grace. So It's called this because it comes only to those who are called to repentance and salvation in Christ. So as I mentioned, there are additional ways in which the Christian alone receives grace. These include, so we look at the, the church and all the people in it, um, the universal church, that is. So, these ways in which the Christian, the church receives grace include the, the teaching of God's word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, worship, church discipline, giving, so giving of offerings and, and, and uh, blessings to other people that way, spiritual gifts, fellowship among other Christians evangelism, and other personal ministry to people. So, for example, we do the, we do the um, Walk for Life and that kind of stuff. So that, that's an example of God's grace in our lives as believers. And so we don't, you know, we don't have time to go into all of these today to, for me to explain them all, um, but I do want to look at a couple passages you know, that will give you an idea of how we come to understand these and other means of God's grace upon us. So, then finally, we'll bring all of this back to Paul's prayer and benediction for the, the believers in Philippi. So, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So, I'm going to start reading from verse 1 to give you some context, and we'll end in verse 11. So, sorry this is long, but it's, I think it's, it's good to read. Verse 11 again. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, so that is harder than any of the apostles, but it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we, pre- so we preach, and so you believed. And so through this passage, Paul is talking basically about the resurrection of Christ and the message of salvation that was preached to all the apostles, and of course him being one. Then he compares his worth as an apostle to the others and finds himself unworthy, as he says. Even though he considered himself working harder than the rest, and so if you look at paul's Paul's ministry right? he went farther he went established more churches, went to more parts of the world, um, all that kind of thing um, and in spite of this, by the grace of God, he was called to union with Christ in spite of his persecution of the believers, and Christ appeared to him, and so by the sovereign grace of God, he goes on preaching and so John Gill um, states it this way in his um, comments on on this passage. So this is, Paul attributes all the grace of God and nothing to himself, or all to the grace of God and nothing to himself. It was the grace of God that made him an apostle of Christ and preacher of the gospel. It was that which, being bestowed on him, qualified him for it. It was that which enabled him to labor and toil, to do and suffer all he did, and which gave success to all his ministrations. He is exceedingly careful to magnify the free favor of God and the gifts of his grace, and means not the grace that was in him, but the grace that was without him. So, to put this even more simply, everything that he is, everything that Paul is and does, is by the grace of God. So, nothing is earned. It is simply, freely, and wonderfully given. So every place Paul goes and every word he speaks, every person he meets, every prayer, every meal, every repentant heart, everything he does is by the grace of God. And so next turn, we're going to go through another one here, and so next turn over a couple pages to Second Corinthians chapter 8. Again, I'll read from verse 1. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So look here at this church. These are people that have been filled with God's grace through the Spirit, and look what it's causing. So Even in their severe affliction, which is apparently due to their overwhelming poverty... They desired to take part in relief of other believers by donating money by donating money or goods that was beyond the means that they had to give. And so what I really want you to focus on here is that these are people that have experienced the grace of God and salvation in their own lives. They have peace even in times of affliction, so much so that even in poverty they have given beyond their means, trusting that God will provide everything they need. And they are doing so with a joyful spirit. This peace that they have, this is an effect of God's grace. So again, I have to ask you, if we apply this to you guys and to me, I have to ask you, do you have real peace like this? Peace that you would be, that would make you give beyond your means, not just monetarily necessarily, to someone even if you were in poverty? Do you have joy that comes from Only from knowing that you are no no longer under the wrath of an almighty God. Examine yourselves again this morning. You have that peace. You must give yourselves completely to Christ. This is the only way you will gain peace. John 1, verse 16. "For, For from his... For Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. John 6, chapter 16, 33 and 34. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is Christ talking. In Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. These two different people, you see. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Here it comes. But to set the mind on the Spirit to be in Christ is life and peace. So there is no peace without Christ. So in times of turmoil, the only peace you will have is the peace of eternal security and the strength of your Savior, Christ Jesus. And there's, in that passage of Romans, there's so much more, um, but for another time. Okay, now, sort of bring this all together, um, so I want you to remember back how we started this morning. Salvation and, and faith are preceded by come after God's special or saving grace, which is freely given to those called. We then saw that within the universal church, which is made up of those saints in Christ, we find God not only gives his saving grace, but also physical means of grace, such as methods of interacting with himself, like prayer, and other believers, such as fellowship and giving. This isn't to say that unbelievers don't gain anything from the grace of God. He does allow them to live as he holds the universe together. But remember, we're talking about Paul addressing believers and those members exclusive benefits of God's grace. So James chapter 1 verse 17. John just preached on this a few weeks ago. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every every gift of grace comes from the Father. And finally, we saw that grace and peace can only come from God because there is no true peace without being joined with Christ. So with all that understanding, let's finally get back down to what Paul is trying to say to the people here. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 2 again. Grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's basically saying that he hopes that the believers would find themselves increasingly and continually experience the peace and joy that comes through the supreme goodness of the actual gift of grace or unmerited favor that can only come from the Father and Jesus. And so this is not just additional peace stacked on top of whatever they already had. This is true peace. The only way they can get this peace is through the Father and Christ. This peace, it doesn't come from, from God, from anything that you can give him. From any form of worship that you can give him. Any form of giving that you can do. Any obedience or praise that you can give him. But only out of the free grace that you have received. This peace only comes from that. And so think about this for a minute as we finish if someone were to say this to you, what would you think? If someone were to say, "Grace to you and peace." If you are a saint in Christ, as we read in verse one, do you consider by the day or by the hour the peace you have access to through the grace of God? Do you consider that? Do you turn? Who do you turn to in times of need or emergency? If something goes bad for you. Do you find peace in your own authority? Or in your own self-sufficiency? Or do you rest on the power and sovereign grace of God that will sustain you? Brothers and sisters, we will all face sickness and trial and we will all die. So I urge you now to begin to find peace in Christ's work alone. Not only peace today, but for the rest of your lives in every trial and even death. So Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there, uh, verse 25 through 30. So at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So just like, like Paul is saying to the church he's writing to, um, when I was writing this, I was trying to keep in mind, what do I desire for you this morning? And what I desire is grace and peace that only comes from the Father, and only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then um, to finish up, I, uh, I want to read here from... The Valley of Vision. And this is uh, titled Amazing Grace. O thou giving God, my heart is drawn out in thankfulness to thee for thy amazing grace and condescension to me. In influences and assistances of of thy spirit for special help in prayer, for sweetness of Christian service, for the thoughts of arriving in heaven. For always sending me helpful supplies or needful supplies. For raising me to new life when I am one like dead. I want not the favor of man to lean upon for thy favor is infinitely better. Thou art eternal wisdom in dispensations towards me. And it matters not when nor where nor how I serve thee nor what trials I am exercised with. If I might be but prepared for thy work and will. No poor creature stands in need of divine grace more than I do. And yet none abuses it more than I have done and still do. How heartless and dull I am. Humble me in the dust for not loving thee more. Every time I exercise any grace renewedly, I am renewedly indebted to thee. The God of all grace special assistance I cannot boast when I think how dependent I am upon thee for being and every act of grace I never do anything else but depart from thee and if ever I am and if ever I get to heaven it will be because thou willest and for no reason beside I love as a feeble afflicted despised creature to cast myself on thy infinite grace and goodness hoping for no happiness but from thee. Give me special grace to fit me for special services and keep me calm and resigned at all times, humble, solemn, mortified, and comforted to thy will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this day the simplest things that we, that we say in our prayers, that um, we don't give proper proper uh, subscription to you for, for everything that you do for us. Lord, ask that you increase your grace in all of our lives. Ask that, that we turn only to you your salvation and your goodness and your faithfulness. Everything you are you have more infinite riches than any of us can imagine. Lord, I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um,